Hello and welcome to the Fresh Thoughts Podcast. I'm John Maver and with me today are Cappy Pop. Hi John, what's going on? And Zachary Chastain. Hey John, how's it going? Today we're going to talk about whether your brand should have multiple Facebook pages, Facebook reactions, and do a deep dive into two content marketing companies, Saddleback Leather and Casper. Let's get this thing started. So let's start with whether brands should have multiple Facebook pages. So I recently wrote a blog post on brands that have more than one Facebook page. And this is a relatively new occurrence, it seems like, in the past year or so, as the newsfeed has kind of taken over as the primary destination on Facebook. Being an effective publisher means creating content that's very engaging. And one of the ways that brands might do that is by creating multiple pages. Why would you want more than one page? Well, the advantage of more than one page is that you can segment these pages by audience or content type. So for example, BuzzFeed can have one page for weddings and one page for parents and Mashable can have pages for social news and for social as a whole and the Huffington Post can have one for women, etc. And each of these pages with its very narrow targeted content is able to reach that smaller audience who is much more likely to engage with it, increasing the overall amount that that content is seen in the feed and engage with. So it's like a snowball effect using the newsfeed's new algorithms for reach. Yeah, but it's tied to audience size, right? You can't have a small company or a small audience and segment like this. Is well, it because you have Huffington Post or places with huge audiences that allow them to do this? No, I think it really, it's not as much audience size, although that certainly gives you an advantage. It's really how your page is made up. So if your content, for example, covers a number of different topics, and each of those might resonate more fully with the subgroups than they would with the whole, then having separate pages might make a lot of sense. Um, in the past, we've seen companies do this with location so or language. So you might have a Spanish version of your page or a Latin America version of your page. But now we're starting to see a lot of people do this based on topics. But certainly there's a big advantage if you do have size because you're able to use your main page as a, a central hub and push the content, the best of content, from the other pages and drive additional fandom for, to those. How does that affect uh, metrics or whatever? I mean, how are you supposed to integrate metrics from the subpages back to the main one? Well, with the language or location type subpages, Facebook had a, a whole mechanism where it would route people to the right page automatically and aggregate the metrics for you. Uh, with these types of pages, each one will show up as a totally different entity. And to be honest, it's not a bad idea because each entity is run using its own methodology, its own understanding of its own of its audience, its own content marketing plan and, and content types. And so aggregating them on a daily basis might not make sense. I think it's easy enough to use one of the social tools to kind of roll up the top level metrics across pages already, but uh, Facebook isn't doing it for you. So why wouldn't you want multiple pages if you were a large brand? Well, I think it really depends on how easy it is to segment your content or your audience. Um, it certainly is a m much different proposition in terms of management. You have to hire more people to run those pages. You have to do more work to report. And there's more money involved in advertising or promoting posts to get reach. 
So I think for a large brand, the consideration is how much value are you going to get out of these sub pages versus how much uh, resource or cost it takes to run them. And then again, how easy it is to segment. For smaller brands, though, I think in general, this probably doesn't make a lot of sense unless you have a wide variety of content. It's just too much work and the resource cost is too high. Makes sense. Yeah. It seems like you would treat these in terms of metrics and management as just completely separate communities from each other. And you would want to segment by like definitely your key audiences that you really want to reach those that you're going to have personas for, not necessarily break it out in every possible way that uh, with your audience. Right. Exactly. So the effectiveness of these subpages is actually pretty significant. An example being Huffington Post had a video about feminism and they pushed it on their main Huffington Post Facebook page and also on the HuffPost women page. So the HuffPost women's page has about one-fifth of the fans but got almost three times the number of views. And that's pretty significant. It's all due to the, the high level of engagement of the targeted content towards women. That's smart. So I think in some ways, though, this has become a little extreme. BuzzFeed has 90 pages. Mashable has 20. The Huffington Post has 79. And each one of these content hubs requires an entire team to manage them at these sizes. So We're also content firms, so for them it might make sense, too. Mm-hmm. And that's what they are known for. Right. They're, they're the new news organizations, social news, so it does make sense. But it's a lot of effort and a lot of work. The good news is that building extra Facebook pages is free. You can try this out pretty simply by building a new page, setting your audience and trying to move people over to it. And if it doesn't work out, they're pretty easy to shut down. Uh, The only downside being that Facebook doesn't really make it easy to migrate fans from one page to the next. So there'll be some manual cajoling of those They still haven't made that easier? Nope. That's been like years now. Well, I think... It's different if it's a big brand page that spends a lot on advertising dollars. They'll do a lot for you. But if you're a normal company, trying to get Facebook to merge pages for you is a pretty difficult proposition. That's multiple pages. The next topic is Facebook reactions. That obviously is taking the social world by storm. It's a pretty big change to the platform. Have you guys used it yet? Reactions? Tons. What are you finding you gravitate most to? Probably angry, just because it's something that I think everybody's wanted on Facebook forever. So regardless Um, of the post, you're always angry? Yeah, I'm just using angry for fun. I think everybody's going through it for giggles at the moment. Although I have seen a lot of people, especially people in my feed, using love instead of like as a novelty. Mm -hmm. I find that I have used ha-ha and like and wow. I have yet to use angry, sad, or love. And uh, I guess I appreciate the range of emotions because I'm really only going to spend my love reaction on things that I actually do love, et cetera. How about you, Zach? Yeah, I've been pretty positive. I'm sticking with like the ha-ha and the like and the love. I haven't been as angry as Cappy. You guys need to get more anger in your life. <laughs> Unleash your inner beast. Uh, so why are there only six and uh, why no dislike button? 
Well, I think one of the big impetuses for this whole change was the dislike button. People were looking for a way to say something other than like for posts about people dying or horrible things happening or just things they didn't agree with. And so over the, the past year or so, as Facebook's been developing reactions, they tried to figure out which, which emotions would be the best to allow users to express. And they did this in a couple different ways. They did a bunch of surveys and focus groups, but they also looked at how people have been using stickers to express emotions. Stickers, and, you're talking about what's used in Messenger? Yeah, I think that's in the mobile app. I think it's it's been a big part of the platform over the past year. Uh, stickers, and because they control which stickers are available, they're able to measure how often those stickers are used and, and in what context. And so they hired a social psychologist who helped them figure out that there are about 20 to 25 possible emotions uh, that they could cover with these emoticons. And then as they looked at trying to make a viable and easy-to-use way for this on mobile, they came down to about six. Then they tested all these emojis against each other looking for overlaps. And that's why initially there was going to be a reaction called yay, but they found that people used it less often than they used its overlaps of love and haha. So they eliminated it. And um, some people are still saying, well, there's no dislike. And I think Facebook's response to that is angry, sad, covers that in a better way, a more specific way than just dislike. Yeah, it seems like a good balance without getting things too complicated. I still want cat ones. I think they should do the cat <laughs> stickers on. I want cat love, cat angry. Well, I think, okay, a couple things here. The first is I like how the emojis are animated, that they actually show off their own emotions. Second, I like how they're limited because it really makes it clear how people are feeling right away. I think it doesn't supersede stickers in comments. I think if you want to add extra feelings, it's that's a great place to do it. But I think it provides a common way of engaging with content that's easy for people to see. So how are people going to, in metric sense, how are they going to know on their posts what type of engagement? Is there any way now to figure out the number of angries versus ha-has versus wows? Or is that something that brands aren't seeing, or Facebook isn't seeing as relevant at the point, at this point? They are. They are enabling that on the posts themselves, both as a quick visual count for anybody Wait, if you click on the if you click on the number beside the different reactions and it gives you a total of them at the top. So if you click on the total reach link oh, on smart. each post, you'll be able to see a quick overlay of all the counts for each of the icons. And this is a way to get a quick uh, an easy sentiment analysis, right? How are people really feeling about your post? They also give this to you in Facebook Insights. If you click on any post, you're able to see the details in a dialogue format with where each one of these reactions occurred. But aside from these quick views, there is no support in the API and therefore not in third-party tools. And there's also no support in the Insights export, which means that you can't really do any detailed analysis on this. Damn, you can't even scrape it. No. Now, I think... That's not that big of a deal. I think these provide more of a feel for how people are reacting rather than an exact science you'd want to ah. try and change. So, for example, if I put a post out that I'm pretty sure people are going to love or like and I'm getting a lot of angries, 
that's an indication that maybe I have a disconnect between my expectations and my audience. On the other hand, a couple of angries are likely to happen no matter what. You have Cappy in your audience. He's, he's going to just be angry. Halt smash! So I think the best thing that brands can do with these is to play around with them, create posts that target specific reactions and see if you can get that. Look at how people are reacting to your current posts and just enjoy them. So it's kind of like a simple sentiment analysis at a glance. Yes, exactly. The only other thing I think with reactions to worry about is how do they affect post performance in the newsfeed? And the answer is they don't at the moment. They work exactly like a regular like, and they increase reach and engagement the same way a regular like would. But Facebook has said they're looking at how people use these reactions and they may incorporate them as signals in the future. So for example, if you're a person who loves to put haha on posts because you love funny posts, that's a way for Facebook to understand what content to show you and they may, may be more likely to show you posts with lots of haha's in the future and few sads. Yeah, I would I would be really surprised if they don't incorporate it into the algorithm at some point. All right. So that is Facebook reactions. Why did you do a deep dive? What is your deep dive series? And why did you pick Saddleback Leather? I started the deep dive series in order to start to capture some insights from brands that do content marketing well. You know, I didn't want to do the same ones that everyone else is doing, like Coca-Cola, Oreo, Taco Bell, all of the obvious ones. I wanted to pick lesser known brands that are doing things well and then take those insights and give you uh, something that you can take away from the post and start applying to your brand right away. Uh, and I picked Saddleback to start with because I'm a customer. I've you know been exposed to their content marketing for a long time, and I can't help but notice that they do a great job. And so I wanted to feature them. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about what Saddleback Leather is doing. So one thing that I really like about Saddleback is that they make a really good effort to include content from uh, their community, like images of the bag and uh, featuring people's like reviews that they've made themselves of their bag. And uh, they ask questions and have polls and really do a lot to engage their community, get people involved and make you feel like that you're doing more than just buying something from them and then walking away. Hmm. They seem to have a lot of very fanatical customers. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, it's a big purchase and it's a really nice product when, so people tend to be really excited about it. Uh, like I've gotten some compliments on my bag. Uh, I really like it. And so that's how you decided. What's that? I couldn't figure out how you decided to choose Saddleback Leather, but it's that awesome bag you have. It is that awesome bag. That's a beautiful bag. Congrats, Saddleback Leather. <laughs> well, you yeah. talk about on your blog how seeing other people who have made this purchase and are so happy about it can actually be a good indicator for other people's purchases or for feeling good about purchases they've already made. 
Right. Yeah, it gives you a lot of uh, social proof that uh, what you're getting really is going to be the quality that you're expecting and uh, that it's not going to fall apart on you or, uh, you know, rub off. Like I had a bag that was rubbing off on my my sports coat and like you don't want that, you know, ruin your clothes. So uh, it's a good indication that you're getting what you expect. Saddleback also seems to use a lot of educational content in their marketing. Tell me more about that. Educational content is really important. Uh, It gives you visibility. If you're writing about your own products and the only way people are going to find you is if they're already looking for you. But if you're sharing tips that are going to help people make a more informed decision when they're buying, uh, then not only are they more likely to find you, but they're also more likely to share that content with other people. Uh, and it also gives you an opportunity to demonstrate why you're the best choice. Like Saddleback produced this series of videos that teaches you a lot about how to tell if a bag is made from good materials that are going to last. And so not only are they helping you understand why they're the best option, uh, because they're building these bags out of all this indestructible stuff. But they're also helping you learn how to tell the difference between a high-quality bag and a low-quality bag, whether you're going to buy from them or not. How much do they push their own company in these educational pieces? Are they truly just educational, or are they very company-focused? Um. Well, they they do a great job of balancing it because they're talking the centerpiece is always on you know this is how we do it and this is why we do it this way and so not only are you learning about uh, you know why you would want this higher quality product and what to look for if you were going to buy somewhere else or from them but you're also seeing you're constantly exposed to you know how they did things the right way where they avoided taking shortcuts and so it's educational and self-promotional at the same time okay do you feel like educational content and this way of doing content marketing is is a good way for other companies to follow yeah i think so it's they have a good mix of being entertaining like the uh video on how to knock off their bags um they also do a great job of educating you and also kind of bringing the focus on their products without uh, feeling like that they're just talking about how great they are. So I think that's a great that's a great balance that everyone should kind of try to aim for in their own content marketing. So you did a, a second deep dive into Casper. Now, Cappy, you actually did a lot of research on a Casper mattress ahead of this post. Heck yeah, I was at their New York showroom on their website, their hero image of those two model looking people laying in the in that room. I was there myself. Are you the modelly looking people? <laughs> Quite the opposite. Not unless a bearded old dude is the guy they're they're marketing to, which they probably are, come to think of it. No, yeah, I, I think their product is great. It's very comfortable too. So tell us a little bit about their their marketing techniques, their content marketing. 
Yeah. So uh, one of the biggest things that really stood out to me uh, from Casper is that they have built this separate content hub, uh, Van Winkles, and they're kind of trying to control the conversation around sleep where they, they're not necessarily talking about their products there, but they're featuring um, content about sleep and how it relates to travel and health and um, just you know everything that you could think of in this one, uh, destination, and then they're cross-promoting that content from their own branded accounts. And I also noticed that they're they're doing a very good job of like managing this well. Like they're doing it in a in a way that's not violating trust. Even though the the website isn't branded, they're not uh, pushing their content there or uh, promoting. Casper mattress from the Van Winkles uh, social accounts. They're doing a very good job of keeping things separate. So is there a goal to rank in search for sleep issues on the Van Winkle site? Right. Yeah. The goal is to discuss all of these issues and kind of have all of these conversations happening on the Van Winkle site and social properties rather than, you know, somewhere else on the web. So how do they take all that great traffic that is going to search for these sleep issues and get them to learn about Casper mattresses? What's the link? Very good question. That, that is, is a good, good question. question. Because, you know, we, we talk a lot with clients about, you know, building this content and sometimes they build external sites. But the point of all this content is eventually to sell some product or get people to make some decisions related to your brand. So how does that happen for Casper? Uh, there's a newsletter. So you can – they do have lead capture here. That's what I was wondering. Where's their – so – Get a Van Winkles in your inbox weekly. I mean, in general, it doesn't look like they do very much that links back and forth at all. They've got oh. some links at the very bottom that mm -hmm. link to Casper, about Casper and about us, but nothing in their posts. But, uh, yeah, so I assume that that's where the magic happens is that there's got to be some kind of cross-promotion once you sign up. So one of the articles that you link to in your blog, Zach, talks about how Dollar Shave Club is doing kind of the same thing. They're hiring journalists. They're writing a, uh, a whole news site dedicated to the related topics around what their product represents, but not dedicated to their own brand. Mm -hmm. So it seems like one of the most important things for both of these companies to figure out is how they can establish a trustworthy news site that also generates leads or product purchase behavior at the same time. Right. Why would you want to build an unbranded content hub versus putting the content on your own page? Um, well, it gives you a lot of opportunity to experiment with content that 
uh, just wouldn't pass the review process for your company domain. It also gives you a chance to feature more content from your community. Like some brands might not feel comfortable posting something from a community member on their website, like an op-ed piece or something like that, out of fear of leading people to believe that this person is a subject matter expert or that their views represent the brand. Uh, but you don't have to worry about those concerns if you're posting that content on a site that isn't a branded domain. And especially for larger companies, it can just be a more practical way to consistently post content. Uh, if you're fighting a long review process or constantly getting some pushback from legal or other red tape, then having a domain where you have more editorial control over everything can make things run a lot smoother. And what do you think some reasons for not doing this would be? Um, well, like we were just talking about, it's very – it's going to be a tough nut to crack how you can actually take this content and get leads back to your brand without you know turning people off. One concern that you have to deal with is that people are going to see your unbranded content hub as a more trustworthy news source, and you don't want to pollute that by just outright – advertising for your brand and uh, you don't want to do too much in the way of putting branded content on the unbranded site. So you're going to have to figure out how to get leads and customers from this unbranded content and get them back to your branded pages uh, in a way that isn't going to be obtrusive and turn customers off. And so uh, that's going to be a tough nut to crack. So it's a big effort and a big set of expenses to create this um, off-brand site with the hope that you can tie it back later. And that's another concern, too, is seeing like um, you were just talking about Dollar Shave Club and uh, – Casper did this as well. They're hiring people specifically to run this second domain and so this unbranded content hub. And so you're going to have added expenses and you're going to have to prove some type of uh, business benefit from that or else uh, it's not going to get very far. Right, right. So if I look at the two main takeaways from these deep dives, the f they both revolve around kind of the same concept, which is educational content. In mm -hmm. one case, with Saddleback Leather, it's about educational content on related topics, but with a focus on why Saddleback Leather has made the choices it did or how it relates to those. And it's on-site. And the second mm -hmm. one is educational content on related topics to the brand, but without any direct connection between the brand and the topics. Well, it's also a longer term thing. It seems like the vision for that is not short term. They're hoping like to, if you notice, Casper doesn't use the name. I mean, mentally, I always say Casper Mattress, but they don't. They want to be Casper, the brand that knows everything about sleep. So right now they're Mattress. But who knows, longer term, I bet you they're thinking of a hell of a lot of other products. And if they control all the content, think HubSpot for content marketing or something. In the future, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier for them to sell whatever other products are going into. So it's going to be a longer term play. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, good post, Zach. Can I click some angry buttons? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. 
You've been listening to the Fresh Thoughts podcast from Thought Labs. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you consume your favorite podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Thought Labs. And thanks for listening.